Y'all didn't even know we had a jazz trio, did you? Thank y'all so much, and Michelle and choir and all the instrumentalists, thank you for leading us into the expectation that there is a place in our Father's house for us, because we've been redeemed. That is your pastor's favorite word in all of the Bible is redeemed. Other than the name Jesus, I love the word redeemed, and I do look forward to that day. You know, there are days in our lives that we look forward The people of God were unbelievably excited, filled with anticipation. God had promised, if you'll build me a sanctuary, I'll dwell with you. And we come to the culmination of this book of Exodus as we continue to track along through the chronological study of the Bible. So I want to invite you to Exodus chapter 40. We're going to look Exodus chapter 40, the very last chapter of the book. And think about those times in your life that you have looked forward to things. Maybe in your mind as we sang those songs and as they sang, you're looking forward to heaven, looking forward to a day that you will be in your Father's house. But there are days here on earth that we look forward to. You look forward to your children speaking their first word, and then you spend time after that telling them to be quiet, right? Or you look forward to their very first steps, and then you spend time telling them, get down, don't climb on that, come back, that kind of thing. So a lot of the things that we look forward to disappoint us. But what we're going to see today is not disappointing at all. In fact, it blew out every expectation they had. We're going to read a phrase in this chapter in just a moment that ought to just grip us with awe and wonder. And very simply, it's this. We'll read it in a moment, but it's that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God said, if you'll build it this way, I will come and dwell with you. And that's exactly what happened. And when the glory of the Lord filled the temple... It was overwhelming. They could no longer enter in as they had before. They could no longer come and go as they had before. Now there were a whole new set of prescribed uh, instructions for how they could enter into the presence of God. And we're going to talk about that today. But I want us today to consider the subject, the glorious presence of God. I, I don't know how the presence of God strikes you when you think about that. It was for them comforting on the inside, but those that were outside the presence of God, it was frightening. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk through this together, but here is kind of a rendition of the tabernacle. You see all around it is the tent prescribed by God in the way that he did, and, and you'll see various furnishings. We're going to look at those. In fact, if you've not been with us on Wednesdays, I want to encourage you. We're walking through the tabernacle furnishings for the next several weeks, and it's been an incredible study already. Those that have been, I, I think, would attest to that. But we see the tent of meeting in the middle, and then you see the Shekinah glory of God, this cloud. It was a, a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud that represented the glory of of God. And as we come to the culmination of the book of Exodus, we we look at how God's leading his people on a journey, and part of that journey is that I will now walk with you. And the chapter begins with the articles of uh, the the tabernacle. Look with me just very quickly at the beginning of chapter 40. The Lord spoke to Moses, set up the tabernacle on the first day of the new year, place and then he starts with the ark of the covenant. So there's the ark And then after the ark, we see there's a table of showbread. And after we see this table that is overlaid in gold, and it has bread on it, and we'll talk about the significance in a moment, then we move from there, and we also see the lampstand. 
I failed to mention, but we put on the screen, not only was there the Ark of the Covenant, but on top of the Ark was the mercy seat. It was just a lid, a covering. It had two cherubim that were above it, and God's presence rested there. We go on from there, and we see beyond the bread and the lampstand, an altar of incense that would go up before the Lord. And then there was an altar for burnt offerings. And finally, there was a laver for washing of the hands. Now, if you will, stand with me and let's read together the Word of God beginning in verse 34. Let's stand together in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. Pray with me if you will. Our Father, this was their journey. But you have a journey for us. A journey and a mission of extending your grace by the messengers that are here in this room. Father, I pray that we would take seriously the glorious presence that is with us through the Holy Spirit indwelling us for the sake of the glory of your Savior, may we take up our mission with obedience. God, today I pray that you would teach us what all of this means by your word and even by the tabernacle that we might glory together in the name of Jesus, for it's in his name that we ask our prayer. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. Now, some of you might say, boy, if I would only get my hands on an ark like that, I could experience the presence of God. In fact, in our lifetime, in modern history, movies have represented the search, the raiders of the lost ark. They wanted to find this treasured, coveted ark of the covenant. Well, have no fear. If you're looking for it, I found one this week, and of course, you know where I found it, Google. That's where you go if you want to find stuff. And I Googled, and I found a company in Israel that were selling custom arcs. In fact, I have a picture of what they do. Very ornate, very beautiful woodwork that they would do. And you can order your very own ark, and you can have it shipped to you. I don't know exactly what they cost, but I would imagine that they're pretty expensive. However, if you determine that you want to get an ark so that you can experience the presence of God, you can't stop there. I just went through seven pieces of furniture that were there that were a part of worship. Obviously, there was this ark, but then there was the golden incense altar. It's completely overlaid with gold. And then a table for bread and the gold lampstand and the bronze altar for sacrifices. All of these different things. So if you're going to determine that you're going to follow this prescribed way of experiencing the presence of God, number one, it's going to be costly. You better start raising some funds. We better put together a pledge drive as a church. If we're going to experience the presence of God through the means of the tabernacle and the prescription that's there in the book of Exodus, we would need all of these pieces to, to fit the mold of what we want to do. And the trouble with this, number one, it's costly. Number two, it's worthless. 
And here's why. Because those prescribed ways of worship are obsolete. You see, no longer do we need the tabernacle. No longer do we need all of those things. They're obsolete, but God was using this to show us a message and a mission. That's really what I want us to see today. There is a message in the tabernacle, and there's a mission for us to follow. And there's also glory. In fact, I want us to see all of these. We're going to see together the message of the tabernacle. We'll see the glory of God in the midst of the tabernacle as He fills it with His presence. And then coming out of that, you and I, hopefully today will leave this place challenged to, to follow God in obedience out on mission because of His glorious presence. So it follows along. What were these tabernacle furnishings trying to communicate to us? What is it that God was trying to speak to us about? Well, let's walk through them for just a moment. And I'm not going to belabor this point too much, but I want us to think about each of the pieces. There was the Ark of the Covenant itself. The Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. It was inside the Tent of Meeting, but even inside that, behind a veil, was this Ark. In it were the, the law, the Ten Commandments, were given to the people of Israel, through the hand of Moses and you need to know this that that law is a law that would condemn every single one of the people that were there it's also a law that would condemn every single one of us all of us would be completely guilty before God because of the law and I'm so thankful that there was another piece that we'll see in a moment. There was a covering over it. But as we look at this, completely overladen in gold, it had poles that they could carry it by. They were not to touch it. They were not to go nearer to it than they, they needed. But God's presence would rest between the wings of those cherubim. And we begin to see a powerful thing. And here's what I want you to just simply grasp from each of these pieces. What is the message? What is the message of the ark? Mercy is by the God of grace. I want you to say that with me. Let's go. Mercy is by the God of grace. You see, we oftentimes equate Exodus with the law. We equate it with the Ten Commandments. We equate it with rules and regulations. But God is showing us that He is a gracious God. And the Ark of the Covenant was demonstrating to you and me that God will, in fact, dwell with us. Holy God and sinful people can be reconciled in a unique place and way, but we have to come to God on God's terms. Now, the Ark was there. It had the law within it. And we move forward. We also see something pretty unique. We see that there is covered by this top this mercy seat and the mercy seat shows us that mercy is the grace by the God of grace secondly I want you to see that there was a golden table of showbread inside the bigger tent not in the holy of holies but in the holy place on one side was the showbread it was a table overlaid with gold there were 12 loaves of unleavened bread on it each one of the loaves uh, would represent one of the tribes of Israel. And there are two or three cool symbols that we need to get out of this. Number one, the bread was unleavened. There was no yeast in it. Why? Because on the night of the Passover, when the people were to gather together and eat inside their home and put the blood of their sacrifice on the door, they were to make bread, but they were to do so without yeast. For two reasons. One, yeast often symbolizes sin. And a little bit would grow and it would rise and it would continue to go and affect the entire lot. And so God said as a symbol of this, we want to make sure that there's no yeast whatsoever. But the other thing that's so cool is this. They were to eat that bread because the deliverance of God would be so swift 
that bread wouldn't even have time to rise. And so what's the message of the table? Here's the message. Deliverance comes by the God of grace. Read that with me, if you will. Deliverance is by the God of grace. You see, the ark and the mercy sheet show us that mercy comes from the God of grace. And this table shows us that deliverance comes by this God of grace. We continue on and we see that on the other side, so you have the ark of the covenant, you have the table of showbread, and then on the other side you have a golden lampstand. There are seven candles there symbolizing perfection and there's lots of symbolism that we'll talk about on Wednesdays, but this golden lampstand, uh, it, it was in a tabernacle without windows. This is a tent, and it would light the way so that the priest could see what kinds of sacrifices that they needed to make. It would offer light to them to show them the instruments by which God was going to grant mercy. And if you begin to think about that, I would imagine Bible minds would quickly say, hey, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. This is talking about Jesus. And you would be absolutely correct to say that, but you wouldn't be absolutely complete. Because Jesus' quote was this in the New Testament. Jesus said, while I'm in this world, I am the light of the world. And yet, after his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension, he said, I will send another. And what we know about the other that he sent is that the Holy Spirit comes at times like a consuming fire with conviction, but he also comes with illuminating lights. And he brings to us light that shows us wisdom. He brings to us light that shows us his word. And when you walk in the spirit of God, you walk with a sense of illumination of your path. And the beauty of this lampstand is it begins to demonstrate to us Jesus Christ, the light of the world, and his Holy Spirit that guides us and guards us and helps us move from sin and to truth. And so what I want you to see here, what's the lesson? I want you to read it with me. Spiritual light is by the God of grace. So we've seen that the tabernacle shows that mercy comes from God, that deliverance comes from God, that spiritual light comes from God, and it's all because God is a God of grace. Aren't you thankful for the grace of God? Aren't you thankful that it's not based on your merit or your ability to earn it or your faithfulness to consistently keep it? I blow it all the time, and yet my salvation, my deliverance, my direction comes from this God of grace who gives to me mercy. He doesn't deal with me according to my sins, but according to His character. What beautiful pictures that we see. Now, after we move past the, the lampstand, there's an offering, uh, an altar of incense. And on it rose up smoke, sweet smoke, in fact, that would go before the Lord. And it doesn't take much for us to realize what this is. The book of Revelation says that the smoke of the incense and the prayers of the saints rise up before the Lord as a sweet-smelling aroma. I love this. Check it out, church. There were two times that the offering of incense was placed there, early in the morning and late in the evening. Two times a day, early in the morning. And it's symbolizing that God will answer your prayers that lead you into the anticipation of the day. And God will answer and listen to your prayers at the end of the day. He even hears those prayers that are filled with the tears and the fears of the night. God's saying to us that I will hear you and I will listen to you and I will answer you from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. So we begin to see something else. What is the, the, the lesson of this altar of incense? Read it with me. Prayers are received. Everybody, everybody, here we go. Prayers are received by the God of grace. 
None of this is in your notes. We're moving toward our notes, but I want us to get to the culmination of this place of the glorious presence of God. You see, all of these begin to point to a a deeper reality, and we're going to see this together this morning. Now, I I want you to think about this. God is always attentive to our prayers, and we see that He receives them, but how does He provide that kind of grace? Maybe you remember through your readings where the fire comes from for this altar of incense. It comes from another altar that's outside the tent, the altar of sacrifice. And the altar of sacrifice was a bloody place. It was a messy place. But every single day that they would go to the the temple, that was the very first stop. You'd enter into the door and there's an altar there, a brazen altar, an altar of bronze that would symbolize judgment. And that's how we have to come to God is through a place of sacrifice and repentance. And there they would offer their sacrifice and yet coals would be taken from that altar and brought into the tent and placed on the altar for the prayers. This is what it looked like. There were horns on all four sides, again, poles to carry it. And that's just a a depiction of what it would look like. We've read through the descriptions. But I think it's important for you to see this. And I I don't want to lose you. I I really hope you're walking with me. If you're doing the readings, hopefully this brings a little light to the readings because it, it can be challenging as we go through all the repetitive nature of these instructions. God is saying to us through this, I will provide grace so that I can hear and receive your prayers. But it's going to take sacrifice to purify you in such a way that I can actually receive them. I am holy. I am the Lord. I am your God. And sinful and weak and fearful as we are. Until the blood of the innocent is applied on behalf of the blood of the guilty, according to the plan of God, God then says, I will cleanse you. And as I cleanse you, I will listen to you. That that ought to bring some stir to your heart to say, I can have my prayers heard by the God of the universe. And, And there's a way. There's hope. And the sacrifices bring to us a sense of hope. Why? Because God says, I will listen to those prayers. Your prayers will now come to me as those that I long and delight to hear as if they were prayed by my very own children. We love that message. But at this point, it burdens me. And here's why. Because I begin to say, well, what do I have to bring? I mean, the sacrifices were required. What do I have to bring? The priest would bring a very costly bull, and that bull would be killed, and his blood sprinkled on that altar so that the sins of that priest could be atoned for, and he could carry forward. What if I can't afford that, pastor or priest? What what do I do? Well, God gave prescription. He said, if you can't afford that, then you can bring a lamb or a ram from your or from your flocks you can bring one of those what if I can't afford that there was provision that you could bring two pigeons what if I can't afford that well you could bring a handful of flour God was simply saying you come to me in faithful obedience and I will receive you if you'll trust me by faith if you'll come to me it's not about your offering it's about your obedience and it's about my grace God reaches into our world with grace The God of grace who makes a way for all to come to him, not on the basis of our merit, but on the basis of his graciousness said, you come, and when you do, I'll be with you. Now, you might ask, what do I do if I sin again? Guess what? You have to come back to that place of sacrifice. I'm talking about then, not now. Let's 
let's keep it where we need to keep it. I, I offer a sacrifice on Monday and I mess up. I sin willfully. I commit some grievous sin. And there are prescribed sacrifices. I have to come back to the altar again and 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 again. again. Some of you are going, I wish he would stop. But it didn't stop. It was over and over and over and over and over that they offered sacrifices to God. Why? Because that was the prescribed measure. And we understand a little more clearly because the book of Hebrews said that the blood of bulls and goats will never, ever cancel sin. They cannot eradicate sin. And so what we see is this gracious God is pointing to something different. Our sacrifices will never make the way. So God had to provide a greater sacrifice. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus Christ came in the the book of Hebrews said, how much more will the blood of Christ, the just for the unjust, satisfy God? The sacrifice that we would need for all time, what was done in the past were just copies and shadows of what God had planned for you and for me. And we have been sanctified now by the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see, we don't need an ark. Why? Because God now tabernacles with us. He doesn't just reside on this mercy seat. His spirit indwells those who trust him. We don't need a lampstand. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit to guide our way. We don't need the incense because the Spirit of God takes our prayers before the Father. And in fact, Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father, intercedes on our behalf. We don't need a lampstand or incense to go before heaven. Jesus himself is our tabernacle. He is the one that has come and made a way that you and I can be with holy God. Hallelujah. We don't need an altar of sacrifice anymore. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid the price and said, it is finished. It's amazing for me to think about the fact that Jesus was the high priest and the sinless, spotless lamb. He was the perfect sacrifice and the one who made the provision for the sacrifice. He is the one who declared it is finished. He is the seated high priest who finished his work and completed for all time all that was needed. Never again would we need to go back to that place. I would say it this way very simply. Why would you ever settle for a copy when you can have the real thing? Let me say it this way. Why would you ever, ever settle for shadows when you can live in the sun? And what many people are doing, I don't want this just to be abstract. What many of you perhaps walked in here doing is you're settling for a copy of religion. You're saying, well, if I go to church and if I give, if I give a little of my time, if I pray every once in a while, if I tithe or or read my Bible, then I must be accepted by God. And the answer is absolutely no. We cannot come to God on our terms. It must be on His. Why today would you settle for a hopeless, hopeless, helpless lot of over and over again going back to practices that will not deal with the problem of your soul? Today, come to Jesus. Today, trust Him. He is the tabernacle. He is the way to Christ, uh, to God. He is the way to the Father. He is the, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who made all of these things, not just symbol, but substance. 
Religion is meaningless in the shadow of the cross. Here's what I want you to see. The message of the tabernacle was of a greater grace to come. The message of the tabernacle was of a greater grace, and yet the message and the anticipation and every article that we've considered even this morning all were like arrows on a compass pointing directly toward Christ. Then once we move beyond all the setup, we've already read in the text what happened next. An indescribable event happens. God said, it's Yahweh speaks to Moshe, (laughs) Yahweh speaks to Moses, and he says, set it up this way in this time period. And they do all of those things. And we come down to verse 34, and it says, The cloud settled on the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. One word came to mind in my study. You ready? Boom! I get somebody's attention this morning. The glory of God resided in one place in the midst of his people. Don't lose sight. The glory of God. In the Hebrew language and in the understanding of the day of the Bible, the word glory means weight or heavy. There, there's a, a, a description of all of his perfection. You know, people are glorious in glimmers and hints. If I mentioned the name Michael Jordan, you'd say, man, that guy was glorious on a basketball court. You mention a golfer and you say, he, he's glorious in the way that he plays this short game. But, but none of us are gloriously perfect or perfectly glorious. But God alone is perfection, and all of his perfection is glory. And that's why when we talk about glorifying the Lord, we're just proclaiming who he is. You can't give him any glory. You ain't got none. But you can reflect it back to him because he is perfectly glorious. And the Bible says there in verse 34 that the glory of the Lord filled that place. Let it fill our hearts this morning. Oh, that the glory of the Lord would fill this temple. Oh, that the glory of the Lord would fill this temple. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that you would recognize God himself has come to dwell with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? I I, I just, I, I can't tell you how excited I am to think about What we're reading in the Old Testament, it is for so many dry and dusty and archaic and strange. And yes, it is strange, but it's strange and glorious. It's strange and marvelous when we see that God came down. The tabernacle was covered. Now, I want you to hear this. The tabernacle was covered with goat skins and ram skins and cowhides. It was filled with blood and sacrifice. Hear this. When God entered the tabernacle, it was so great that Moses and the others could no longer enter in. But I want you to think about this. The God of all creation entered into a place that stunk like an animal stall to show his glory all the more. And guess what? That wouldn't be the last time 
that the king of glory would enter such a place. You see, we read a little farther along in the story that Jesus Christ disrobed himself of all of his glory and wrapped himself in flesh and was laid in swaddling clothes in a manger, in a feeding trough for animals. He entered the stench of this world the first time in this boom experience in Exodus 40. And he enters in in Luke chapter 2 in a beautiful, magnificent way as he comes not in radiant glory, but in silent power on mission, born to die and to live again. Think about this. He would come in all of his glory to the dark places of our lives. And that is the glory of itself, the star shining that would come into the darkness of our night. The one whom all the tabernacle pointed to came into the world and showed us his glory and his grace in the darkness of an animal stall in Bethlehem. When mercy comes to darkness, that's glory. When darkness does not turn away my Savior, that's glory. When the stink of my own life and the inadequacy of my worship is received by God, hallelujah, that is glory. Imagine with me the glorious presence of God. You see, the tabernacle showed what the glory of God is and whom God will bless with his glory. It was crude and hard to understand, but it's a picture of how our God works. Now, as we draw this toward conclusion, now I'm getting to your notes. I just want you to think about this very simple thought. It, it, it first started with the subjection of his people. It started with the people doing exactly what he said. So here's the statement I want to give you on the screen. God manifests his presence in the place which he prescribed, and among the people who precisely carried out his commands. You will not and cannot come to God on your own terms. If you think, well, I'm going to wait till my deathbed. I'm going to sow my wild seeds and my oats now, and later on I'll come to Christ. That's not the plan. You will come to him on his terms, not your own. You only come through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that there's an appointed time for every single one of us to die, and after that we'll face judgment. And so I would say to you today, don't delay, don't wait. Today ought to be the appointed day of your homecoming that you say the glorious presence of God is available to me. The mercy and the deliverance and the one that can hear and answer my prayer, all of those things are available to me today because of Jesus Christ, the tabernacle, the one who has dwelt with us. Amen? We ought to hang on to that. You know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with uh, my daughter Heidi this week, and she and one of her classmates were talking about somebody in, in, in some circle in their class project. There was a, a lady who had done some wicked things, and, and uh, one of her classmates said, that lady deserves to be in hell. That's a pretty stark statement. And, and Heidi's response to her classmate was this, so do you, and so do I. I'm glad she added that last part. I was a little nervous that she looked at this classmate and said, so do you. But she said, so do I. We all deserve to be separated and cut off from a holy God. And yet God, from the beginning in Genesis 3, covered the people of God who had sinned by 
slaughtering an animal and covering them with those skins. And it was prefiguring Christ that would come. You see, all of those sacrifices added up to nil, but the obedience of the people led them to a place of experiencing the presence of God. God came and manifest His presence specifically where He prescribed and to whom He prescribed. Does that make sense? And so when we follow God, now I want you to see this, the sign of the people of God is this, not just the subjection, but the sign of the people of God. On the screen we'll put it this way, the mark of the people of God is always His presence in their midst. Now, we believe that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. But what I would say to you today is there are special times where we sense and feel and see the manifest presence of God. We sense Him moving among us. Oh, that we would experience the manifest presence of God in our church. I long for revival to happen. My my prayer for this city has been since I came here that we would experience revival in the church that would lead to a spiritual awakening in the community. I, I love this city. I was raised here. I grew up here. I I love the the school system here. I long to see Christ proclaimed at Hattiesburg High and in Petal and Oak Grove and PCS and at Lamar Christian. I long to see Christ proclaimed over every neighborhood, uh, all of our neighbors from downtown to the west, from north to south, from Raw Springs to Brooklyn and beyond. We want to make disciples of our neighbors, the nations and the next generation and we have a mission. You see, I want you to understand this. It is far, far, far beyond just a message. Oh, there's a message in this. Christ is the only way. But what's the mission? The people around saw the same thing that the people were seeing. They saw that cloud. They saw that fire. And they were scared to death by it. His presence was comforting to those who trusted Him. And it was frightening to those who didn't. Our mission in this world is to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ and share the love of and the good news of Christ everywhere we go. We need to make a difference. That was the mission. And the mark of God's people is His presence. We can play games called church all the time. We can do all kinds of fancy things. We can go on trips and do Bible schools and camps and sing good music and and enjoy all kinds of fellowship and good food and the presence of God never be a part of what we do. God, help us if we're ever there. Oh, that the presence of God would be the mark of Hardy Street Baptist Church. Oh, that the presence of God, the glorious presence of God would be the mark of your family, of your life. I want you to see this. Two final thoughts. The struggle of human limits. You see, they could not enter into His glory. We read it from the text. Moses could no longer enter in because of God's presence. The struggle of our humanity is this. Our humanity is not suited for living in the glory. And our sinfulness permits entrance into the glory. But hallelujah, He's provided the way. And He places within us a hunger. And it's the last thing in your notes that you need to see. The hunger for the glory to come. The, the, the glory to come will be heaven. No more sin, no more sickness, no more sadness. We'll be in the presence of God. It'll be approachable. We'll be with God. In fact, the same word, beautiful, beautiful picture. Revelation 21, it says that the dwelling place of God, you know what that word is? Tabernacle. The tabernacle of God is now with man. God lives with us. By the way, I really do have to go back to one last article of furniture that we didn't mention. There's a a basin of water. 
It's there after the altar. It's last in almost every list. It's a large basin of water, and the priest would take a laver, and he would scoop from this side, and he would wash this hand. And then he would take this hand because it's unclean, and he would scoop from this side, and he would wash it. And you know what he would do next before he entered into the tent of meeting? He would scoop again, and he would wash his feet. It was a bloody place. He's been sprinkling blood on an altar. It was a messy place. But now by this baptism of cleansing, he can enter into the presence of God. And I'm not saying that baptism is the key there, but baptism in the Holy Spirit is when God's Spirit indwells us. By this baptism, no matter where I go or what I do, I have now been made holy. I am now made holy for the purposes of God. I am to spread the message of God's grace and the glory of God's grace settles on me. Where are you today? Are you living outside of the tent? You've never entered in by the only door, Jesus Christ. If that's the case, trust Him today. Maybe you've come inside and and you've not gone to the place of confession and repentance and, and trusting Him and saying, Lord, I surrender. And you're not on mission. Oh, you're living your life, and you know you're on your way to heaven, but you're living far beneath the privileges of God. There's a mission for us. Your hands have been cleaned, and your feet prepared to share the gospel message with your neighbors and with the nations in the coming generation. Part of the reason that Brother Joe made the announcement that he did, we want our church to stay on the cutting edge of missions all around the globe. We want you to be trained and equipped and prepared. That's why we're doing the trainings that we're doing. That's why we're focused in these areas. I hope that you would consider some of those mission opportunities. We're going to New Orleans on Palm Sunday weekend. We'll leave on Saturday, be back on Sunday. We're worshiping with a brand new church plant and inviting people in the city of New Orleans to come and experience Easter with that church plant. I'd love for you to go with us. There's information there for you. If you want to travel overseas, you've got to go through the Sentinel training if you want to get scholarship money from the Mississippi Baptist Convention. But beyond that, it's just wise to be equipped and trained and ready to know how to travel safely. And so there's two opportunities for that. There's trips out west. There's other things that are coming up. Trips to East Asia where God is using people in incredible ways and the gospel is going forth. Some of you say, well, those things sound fascinating, but I'm just kind of mired down in my own mess. Why don't you get saved today? Why don't you trust Jesus today and get on with that which God created you to do, to live a life for Him, free in His mercy and His grace and His deliverance with Him, answering your prayers, hearing you, and walking you through life by His Spirit. Let's pray together.